right. If you didn't meet somebody new, you're going to have the opportunity when we finish. We have this thing called three-minute rule. I, I, we don't always mention it, but hopefully it's going to be just become a part of you. If you hang around with Grace Point very long, and that three-minute rule is the first three minutes after every gathering, you meet somebody new. Now, you know, all you have to do is spend three minutes with them, not the rest of your life, okay? So get to know somebody new that you haven't met yet, and so that's a good opportunity to say you might want to follow up with somebody that you just shook their hand for the first time and get to know them. Um, you know, one thing about this meeting people, it kind of it's uncomfortable. I know, you know, somebody stand up, go shake somebody's hand and pretend like you got a smile on your face and you're excited to see them. You don't know them from Adam's house, cat. I know that's so difficult uh, to be excited about a nobody that you don't even know, but anyway, you're supposed to love them and like Jesus loves them. It, it's really hard. You know, the whole thing about, about relationships is kind of a hard thing. It can be good or it can be bad. And when it's bad, it's really bad. And when it's good, it's awesome. It's life sustaining. It breathes life into us. And just a, just a real reality is that one of the biggest contributors and multipliers of joy in my life uh, that I've experienced over the years is people. People in my life have contributed, added to, multiplied the joy of my life. But at the same time, likewise, one of the biggest detractors and disparagers of joy in my life is people. Uh, You know, it's like somebody has said that uh, if it weren't for people, life would be great. And I don't know if you've ever said that, felt that, but sometimes we talk about relationships with people and, you know, I burnt that bridge, I can't go back there, or, you know, that, that, was, that, that relationship was a dumpster fire, I can't, I can't imagine that, it was a mistake, I'll never get those years back, that time back, you know, so sometimes you have a relationship and you go, man, I couldn't live without you, you are the, you're the air in my lungs, you complete me, you know, those, uh, those good one-liners that you get from movie clips and, you know, you complete me. And then there's those times you kill me, man. I can't stand uh, to even be around you. And you think about that. Relationships are absolutely how we were made to function, not as an island, not alone, not going it alone and, uh, or, or, or spending life alone. It can put a dance in your step. You know, a couple's dance is meant to be a couple, all right? You're, if you go to a dance and there's a couple's dance and you're not dancing with anybody, you're going to look awkward out there, okay? And we're talking about keep dancing. And so the, just whole, in the whole idea of dancing is an idea that it's a couple's thing. We're coming together. We're in rhythm. We're in sync. I feel you. You feel me. We're connected together. Now, if you grew up in that denomination that, that, uh, that dancing is wrong because it stimulates the lust of the flesh, you know, Breathing can be stimulate the, bus, bus, uh, the lust of the flesh. You know, if you're a teenage boy, so it doesn't it doesn't matter. I mean, it just it just exists out there. But uh, dancing is one of those things that we're kind of using as a metaphor about life, and that life sometimes sucker punches us. Life sometimes does not let us dance, robs us, sucks the joy out of our life, and we want to kind of get past that. And I can tell you right now, we're not going to get past it in a sustainable manner unless we have healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. Uh, This is the way one Dutch uh, uh, psychiatrist said it like this. Loneliness is the nucleus of psychiatry. Basically saying at the very core of of all of psychiatry and getting into the soul of mankind, one of the greatest struggles that mankind battles that is, is the symptom of many of our problems in life is loneliness. There's a lot of truth to that. The vast majority of people I see in counseling could be greatly helped through a simple 
meaningful friendship. A simple, meaningful friendship. And we're talking about dancing and we're talking about relationships today. And we're talking about how those, when done well, when relationships are done well, they'll add a, 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 a bounce in your step, a, a song in your soul, a joy in your life. And, and if you come to the book of Philippians and be finding the book of Philippians, we'll be there in a moment. Uh, but we're going to find as we go through this study through the book of Philippians over the next two and a half months, is that there's this one common, never can't get away away from theme. And it all comes down in Philippians to this one singular command that in every single chapter in the book, it references this one command. It is the command to rejoice. And if we would learn to rejoice and rejoice in all things and not grumble, and if we learn to see life through a better filter, and if we would learn to have joy and figure out how to have joy in our hearts and our lives, and we're going to find out today through Paul that Paul's relationship with the church of Philippi actually increased the joy in his life. That's what I'm trying to say here is that there's this, there's this beautiful cocktail that comes together when we have good, healthy, vibrant relationships. It could be marriage could be friendship, could be a brother, a sister, a cousin, a nephew. It could be a teammate. It could be somebody you work with. There's, I'm, I'm going to just make a broad statement about relationships that when you have a healthy life-giving relationship, it will increase the joy of your life. Likewise, when you have a depleting, negative relationship, it will rob joy from your life. This word rejoice in the uh, Greek language, is the word charos, which we get charismaniac from this, okay? So a charismaniac is a person who is a, a charismaniac, uh, a, a, a charismatic person, excuse me, that's the correct way to say it, uh, uh, a charismatic person, they can be maniacs sometimes, but um, they, uh, they, they, they are a person, I stumble on myself, uh, they themselves have this uh, innate charisma about them, charisma, that is innate energy about them, they have this positivity about them. They have this energy about them. They have this about them. And that's where that's at the very heart of the word rejoice is this idea of charisma. So here's the life principle we talked about last week at the end of the message. And I'm going to mention it as many times as I possibly can in now throughout this series is that joy rises above our circumstances. And it runs deeper than our pain. It rises above our circumstances in that Whenever you have joy in your heart, you're able to see through, through the circumstances that seem so negative, that seem so dark, that you actually can't see tomorrow because of the circumstances. Well, guess what? You can still have joy in the midst of circumstances that you can't see through because joy has risen above it, but it also runs deeper in our life than the pain. You say, no, 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 the pain of my life right now has robbed me of joy. No, it may have robbed you of happiness, but when you have joy, joy runs deeper than the pain that we will experience in life. He says, I want that. That's exactly what everything in Philippians is built on is this whole idea of rejoicing, this whole idea of having this energy that is coming up from within us, that is sustaining us, that is carrying us through life. 
Say, I'm not selling you just some positive mental attitude here. I'm not just saying, hey, think good, say good things. And I'm not just saying in your relationships, just have people around you that tell you what you want to hear. In fact, I'm going to say quite the opposite. You need people in your life that will speak truth into your life even when you don't want to hear it. And so it's going to come down to that as we look at it today in this first 11 11 verses of Philippians is that the recipe to increase the joy of our life is to improve the relationships of our life. When increase the joy in our lives, we'll improve the relationships in your life. And then you'll find that there is a deeper joy. So just again, the backstory on the book of Philippians or the letter to the church at Philippi, uh, and I'll use that interchangeably, a book, letter, because it's the same thing, because really most of the New Testament is just letter after letter after letter of Paul and John and Peter and James and other people writing to these churches, these early believers. And Philippi or Philippians is, is, is one of those examples, but it didn't start that way. It started with a personal visit when Paul was seeking out where God was leading him. He was longing and praying to go here, wasn't here, wasn't here, wasn't plan A, wasn't plan B, it was plan C. And it wasn't even his plan. It wasn't even what he dreamed up. Okay, that's a very important thing when you're thinking about what God's will is for your life. When your plan A isn't it and plan B isn't it, then maybe it's time to listen to God and figure out what plan C is because plan C could have been God's plan A all along. And so he has this Macedonian call, this vision from God that happens to him in Acts chapter 16. And we kind of skipped over it, made light of it, or made real quick haste over it last week. But this is basically the voice in the night that came to Paul that said to him in Acts 16 verse 9, says, come over here, come to Macedonia and help us. And it was that call of God upon, upon Paul and Silas and young Timothy's life that led them, gave them direction to where that Macedonia was and to, just to hit the ground, hit the port city, went north to, to this, this, this city of Philippi. And it starts engaging and sharing because he had a very clear call because the very next verse says it like this, when Paul had, been, had seen the vision, the vision of going to Macedonia, immediately... We sought to go to Macedonia. I love the immediate response and obedience to God's calling. Again, I spent a whole time just talking about obeying God's calling here, but we're not going to go there. Concluding that God had called us to, and here's what he called them to, very clear statement, to preach the gospel to them. Now, what happens there is this beautiful kind of movement in history where the gospel has been centrally located in in really Asia, Asia Minor, Middle East area at this time, and it has moved now over to the continent of Europe. And for the first time in the book of Acts and history of the early church, we find historically, anyway, it may have been there before, but we find it historically going into Europe. And as it enters into this Europe, uh, and the gospel is preached in Philippi, and we see that Paul will spend a good number of years following, revisiting Philippi, praying for Philippi, sending letters to Philippi. Philippi becomes kind of this, 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 this sweet spot. For Paul, it's the sweet spot of the bat if you're hitting the ball. It's the it's the sweet spot of the racket if you're if you're playing tennis. It was kind of a you look at all the churches that Paul invested and poured, and all the believers and all the places he pioneered the gospel into. The Church of Philippi is this place that is just a sweet, sweet place. It's a sweet, sweet relationship. 
And that's why I want to look at how he related with the believers in Philippi. Because he spends, as you can see on the timeline, he spends about 15 years, 10 to 15 years, investing in Philippi, in these believers' lives. So this is an ongoing relationship. This is something that's matured over time. And we're kind of entering in now, when we start this chapter 1, verse 1 study, is we're kind of entering in well past Acts 16, where we were last week. We fast forward 15 years, 10 years in the matter of a week. So just trying to give you the the perspective again, if you were with us last week, to just kind of journey with us. And so then the very first words out of his mouth are on the paper, excuse me, are are, are this. Again, take your Bibles and look at Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of of Christ Jesus. That's his introduction. So I'm not like the founder of the church. I'm not like the great apostle. I'm not like somebody of highfalutin kind of uh, uh, influence. He's I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. That's who I am. That's my title. It's my rank. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy are writing. I don't know where Silas is at this point. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, and with the overseers and the deacons. So here we see a beginning of the early church having some semblance of organization and hierarchy and structure and systems in place because there were overseers, or this is the word episkopos. There were kind of like this oversight committee or leader in the church at, uh, at, at Philippi, but there were also deacons that were right there with them. All right, but say, I'm not an overseer and I'm not a deacon, so this isn't written to me, right? No. The very first people he writes to are all the saints, all right? So I don't know if you've ever considered yourself a saint, but if you're a follower of Christ, you can now consider yourself a saint. So tell your wife right now, turn to the person sitting next to you and say, hey, I am a saint, deal with it. All right, tell them right now, I'm a saint, deal with it. All right? And you can take that up later on with them if that's true or not. This beautiful thing happens in the last week as we talked about when he goes there and he he, he encounters in in Philippi, the very first time he encounters these three people, skeptic, a seeker, um, this person who is very spiritual. But now what we're seeing is a church has been born. A church has been born. Uh, uh, the fabric of, of society is being shaped in the city of Philippi because this church, this, this body of believers, this band of believers, and they're going to they're gonna invest in, they're going to pour in, they're going to make a difference in this entire region. And Paul is loving it. Paul has this amazing relationship with them. And we find that in this is how to have, I think, healthy, life-giving relationships. And I'll ask you that question. What does it take? What will it take for you to have healthy, life-giving, not life-depleting relationships? Now, again, talk about your marriage. Is your marriage life-giving? Is your relationship with your mom and dad life-giving? Is your relationship with your coach, your teachers life-giving? Or is it just, just facts and figures that they pass on? Is it just dictums and commands that they just hand down? Is it just policies and procedures that you try to ignore and look past them? Or is there actually a healthy, life-giving relationship? And I think you can't help but but see it in Philippians chapter 1 when he goes on. And and we kind of enter into 
Paul's prayer journal here, if you will. And we see supplication, intercession, thanksgiving. You see it all in these first 11, first 11 verses. And, and you see prayer. The word prayer is mentioned four different times in 11 verses. And, and so you can see that we're entering into the prayer journal of Paul. And so let's, let's begin to look at his prayer. And you'll see the sweetness of it. Verse 3 says, I thank my God. It starts with thanksgiving. I thank my God to God. In all my remembrances of you, every time you come to mind, I, I have this happy thought. I have, I have this joyous feeling. I have this energetic energy that comes from me, this longing to be with you. Every time you come to my mind, I'm thankful to God for you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. My prayer, you, your relationship with me, my relationship with you, our relationship together is enabling me to have prayer, prayer, not just prayer, but prayer with joy. You see the energy. You see the, 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 the hope. You see the, the charisma coming through this. That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what we need in relationships. Now, what does that take to have this quality of relationship? So here's what I want you to do. Think of a relationship that is right now in your life. And every time I talk about relationship, that's the image, that's the person, that's the, the, the somebody that I want you to bring to your mind. Okay, now this could be hopefully somebody that is a pleasant relationship, okay? Think of the most pleasant relationship that you have. And let's let that, that be the focus of this. But then ask yourself, do, do, does this relationship have these three qualities? Because I think he, in his prayer, in his journal, in his writing out of his prayer, we see qualities of a relationship that give life to Paul. Number one is it's a transforming relationship. There's a transforming element in a relationship. Do you ever look at your life and just say, yuck? Do you ever look at your life and say, I'm stuck? Do you ever look at it and go, man, I, I just can't seem to get past this and whatever this is. It's an addiction. It's a pain. It's a, it's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's an anger. It's a, it's a betrayal. It's something. And you are just stuck. And especially if you're talking about relationships and you're in this unhealthy pattern of relationships. And some people just don't do relationships well. They can't. Now, I'm not just talking about past relationships they've given up on. I'm talking about the relationship that they're in right now that they're married in. They, they just are stuck. And they can't seem to get past that stuckness. Again, letting Paul's relationship with the church of Philippi be a good example of what a template of a relationship should look like, there should be a transforming element that will move us from stuckness, that will bring us up, that will elevate us out of the rut of, uh, of uh, a brokenness, okay? Now, one of the things that we say around here is that we at Grace Point Church exist to promote Promote, we can't make it happen, but we want to promote transformative community with one another. Okay? This transformative community is the 
basically tied back to this. I hope the longer you're around Grace Point and the Grace Point people, the longer you hear a message, the longer you're in a community touch group, the more that you're, you're experiencing the worship and more, the more you're contributing to it, the more you're investing in it, the more you're taking from it, the more, the more, the more, that you will find that your life is being changed. But I hope it's because of the relationships, not the building. It's not the lights, the camera, the action. It's not the haze machine in the background. No, it's because you are in a transformative community, a relationship with one another. I just spent Friday night and Saturday, a good part of those days, with, with seven other men. I can tell you right now, I love these guys. We, we, we know each other better now than I know some of my family members. And I know them and they know me and we have poured into each other and this didn't happen overnight. It happened because we all intentionally got around and we said in a covenant relationship that we want this kind of relationship in the very beginning, day one, week one. We said this is the kind of relationship we want to have with one another. And so, and all that's tied back to being a transformative relationship and all of us want to pour into each other and help each other go to a new level in our own lives, but also collectively. And, and we made this commitment. It's my communitas group. And we come together on Monday mornings at 6 a.m. And we spend time together. Anyway, we spent the weekend together. On the very first time when we get together, we have a set of kind of covenant agreements. But one of those things of, a, of the agreement is no posers allowed. So if you're going to bring your fake Christian card in, then please just stay away. If you're going to come in and kind of pretend that God's really working in your life or you're really going to be obedient to God, then please stay away. Because what we really want is we want to be raw and we want to be real and we want to be broken and we want to pour into each other and we want to see transformation happen. We want to have a real relationship. And that's sometimes hard for guys. But that's what I absolutely love about this group of guys and I love about them and I think that they love about each other. But that happens because we realize we're broken and we're not all together. And we need to help each other get together. And we can speak truth into each other's lives and we can make a difference. Think, where did you get that? It's what Paul had with Philippi. It's what Jesus had with his 12. It's what David had with Jonathan. And Jonathan with David. And I can go on to relationship after relationship after relationship in the Scriptures, and you'll see that there's this transformative element that's there that you can't get away from. What does it look like? So here's a couple of questions to ask yourself about your relationships. Is there mutuality in the relationship? You're both equally pouring into the relationship. Now, I like what Paul said in verse 5. When he goes on, he said, uh, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, partnership, the partnership in the gospel. What's the word partnership mean? It's the Greek word koinonia. We know koinonia is most of the time we think of koinonia as fellowship. When I think of fellowship, I think of, I think of a, a, a couple of dudes sitting around drinking coffee and trying to have some kind of surface level Bible study. 
or, or maybe some ladies sitting in uh, having tea and, 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 and talking about what do you think it says? Well, I don't know. What do you think it says? Well, I don't know. What do you think it says? No. It's a partnership. It's both people bought in. The word koinonia means much more than just eating pie and cake and, and eating donuts and having coffee. It means that two people are bought into something here. The Sunday school teacher was trying to explain to her, her, her class the word koinonia to a bunch of kids. And what, 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 what does this fellowship mean? And what's it look like and act like? And, and it was just going way over the kids' heads. And finally, one of the kids raised his hands. He says, well, to me, it sounds like fellowship. It sounds like two fellows in a ship. And he, she said, I think you're onto something. Because when you got two fellows in a boat, they got to be pedaling, paddling, not pedaling, paddling. And they got to be in sync and they got to be passionate about it. And they're fighting against rapids and they're fighting against whirlpools and they're fighting against tur- currents and they're, they're, they're on a mission. Two fellas in a ship, that's what fellowship is. It's, it's passionate pursuit of something meaningful. That's a transformative relationship. Not just dudes and coffee and donuts hanging out together. But there's also an expectancy of God at work. Is there in your relationship an expectancy of God in work? I hope you have relationships where you can speak honorably and truthfully into someone's life, calling them out. But I also hope you can say, you know what? I see God in you. I see God at work in you. I see God's going to do something in your life that's going to be incredibly life-changing forever and ever. Amen. In verse 6 of, uh, of the same of chapter, he says, I am sure of this. This is what Paul says. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, I'm believing in you, Philippi. You guys are not there yet. Thank the Lord you realize that yourself. But also this, I'm seeing that he who began a good work in you is still working on you. I I want somebody who believes that God still has and still is working on me according to his plan. Whenever Paul was talking earlier in chapter 2, or later actually in chapter 2, he says it like this in verse 12. Uh, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And basically, let, let the work of God inside of you work out of you. For it is God who works in you. Listen, I want to be a part of relationships. You want to be a part of relationships where you can say, God's at work in you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. This whole idea of workmanship, this whole idea of crafting is the idea of an artist crafting you. Listen, my friends, I hope that you don't settle for where you're at right now. I hope in your relationships you're not settling but I hope that you're two fellows, two women, three, four, five, six in a ship and you are passionately pursuing what God is working into you. And that when you see a brother walking away, you'll do what Galatians chapter 6 says, go and restore them gently lest you too fall. Lest you too fall. 
That we are that kind of relationship as life-giving relationships. Listen, I'm not trying to sell you anything. But I promise you this, when we founded Grace Point Church, this is what we've wanted from the beginning. And what we talk about at North Point on Friday night, this Friday night, and what we'll talk about on Saturday morning is trying to encourage you. And in our North Point new members class, hey, would you consider, would you look at your life? Would you look at your, yourself? Are you ready to invest yourself and become a part of a church that's going to promote it? We can't make it happen. We can't force it on you, but we're going to promote it by all means that there will be, you will be a part of a transformative community with one another hope you'll consider that because we want to create that environment. Number two, there's an investors involved. Is there an an investing that's happening in the relationship? It's, it's, uh, when I talk to young married couples or even older married couples and things aren't so well in their marriage and they talk about, you know what, we, we all need to give 50, 50. You know, if, we, if marriage is going to work, it's 50-50. You give and you take and you give and you take. It's going to work. It's going to be 50-50. Actually, that's not good math. They cancel each other out. That I, I think really if you're going to have a, that may be a good marriage or an okay marriage, but if you're going to have a great marriage, it's going to be 100-100. I'm going to give 100 and you're going to give 100. Because there's going to be a day that I can't give. I'm beat. I've been beaten for a season of my life. I can't physically, I can't mentally, I can't, I can't emotionally. I, I, I'm beaten down and, and I'm giving you 100% of my 30%. But that's all I got. And then you're going to get to step up and you're going to get to give the other 70 or 80% to make up that difference. And if you're sometimes in this relationship, sometimes if you're a bean counter and you're counting, well, I did this for them so that they need to do this for me, then, man, you are in, in an unhealthy, life-draining relationship. A healthy relationship is one that gives 100%, 100% of the time, as much as you've got, even if at times it's 90-10. Even at times, if you're giving it all. Well, Paul was in a situation in the church of Philippi when he could only give about 30%. But they stepped up and they gave the other 70%. And Paul, and literally, if you look at the the context of the book of Philippians, as he's writing this letter to them, it's actually a thank you letter. He started off that way. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He is writing a thank you letter to the church of Philippi. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for believing me. See, right now, he's in house arrest in Rome waiting his, pri- waiting his sentence on his life. And he, he's about to go on, on trial. And, and he's not free. And this is one of his prison epistles and uh, letters that he wrote. And he wrote several others. But this is the one that's a thank you letter to the church of Philippi because it's the only church out of all the churches, out of all everyone that he invested, that gives any clear evidence that they financially came back and they supported him. When he was down, when he could only give 30%, it was the church of Philippi who stepped up and made up the difference. And Paul recognizes that in them. And he says it to them like this in verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way, this, 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 this overwhelming sense of joy and gratitude for the church of Philippi. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. 
because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. Thank you for investing. Thank you for partnering. And this word partakers is actually a business term. It's used in the gospel of uh, of Luke, whenever Jesus was talking, or was talking about uh, about Simon and John, uh, and James and John uh, were, were brothers, and they were in partnership together in the fishing industry. It's used in Philemon when when Paul's writing to the to the uh, on behalf of Philemon as he's sending him back. He sent this letter, and it says that Philemon is a partner with me. You think about a partnership, you enter into a partnership. You want somebody who's not divided in interest, not has uh, other loyalties out there. You want somebody who's all in, in a relationship that is healthy and life-giving. You have both people giving all that they can to that relationship. And if you ever in your marriage are giving 100%, even if it's only 30 that you can muster up, but they're giving 70, but they could give 100. It's not, unhe- it's not a healthy relationship. Paul said, thank you. You've revolutionized my heart. You've given joy to me. You've, you've changed me. When, when Jonathan had his father as king, Saul, um, and Saul was told Jonathan, hey, I want the head of David. But there was a deep commitment and love between them as brothers of arms, if you will. And God had a plan for David. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 to 3. It says, Now it came about that when he had finished speaking to Saul, that Saul, that, 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 that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. He made a covenant. It wasn't a contract. It was like, I'm an all in this thing. I'm putting it all out there for you because I believe in you and I'm going to be committed to you. I know the king wants your head on a platter, but I am so committed to you. You know what? You need friends during the good times. They celebrate with you, right? But you really know who your friends are during the bad times. It's basketball season in, in, in NBA, and I'm not a big NBA watcher. But back in the, in the years, I used to watch uh, the Celtics and the Lakers. And uh, back in the days of uh, uh, Larry Bird and uh, Kevin McHale and, and so forth, and there's a story about Kevin McHale being on the Celtics and kind of being a little bit miffed at uh, the head coach and legendary head, head coach uh, uh, Casey Jones and how he was kind of, why, why don't you pat people on the butt whenever they come off of, of making a good play and why don't you high-five them and, 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 and encourage them after they just make a game-winning shot? Why don't you do this? And he, he kind of challenges us on his coaching. And this is what Casey said. He said, Kevin... After you've made a winning basket, you've got 15,000 people cheering for you. TV commentators are coming to rush towards you. Everybody's giving you high fives. 
you don't need me then. When you need a friend most is when nobody is cheering. And that is what was happening in Paul's life in a lonely jail cell in Rome at this time in his life. But there was the church of Philippi giving all that they had. Number three, you know you have a life-giving relationship when there's compassion. When there's compassion. You can't look at scriptures very long without seeing this amazing theme of love and compassion. Love and compassion. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. The acid test of whether or not we're following Christ. Scripture's full of, uh, of verses, and that's just one of them, that we have love for the brethren. Romans 5, 5 says, God has poured out his love into the hearts, our hearts, by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Listen, if we don't have love for people, love for those around us, it's, it's, it's not God's fault. It's our fault for not allowing the love of God to pump through our veins as, as he's poured it into us. My little children, let us not love the world, neither, uh, uh, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What we're saying and what we're doing may be marked by love. Peter said it like this. He said, above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. For charity, love shall cover a multitude of sins. You know, you can get past a lot of mistakes in your friend's life if your heart is overflowing with love. You can find forgiveness when there doesn't tend to be forgiveness when there's an overabundance of love. See, when you look at chapter chapter uh, this this prayer journal of Paul's in verse eight and nine it says it like this: For God is my witness. How I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And in my prayer, again, just emphasizing his prayer journal here, and your love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He said, there, you can see in here, there's this quantity and there's this quality aspect of love. Quantity, you know, I want your love to grow and abound more and more. And I also want it to have knowledge and discernment. There's a quality of love. It's not just blanket love. The, the love that Hollywood puts out for us, this infatuation kind of love, this feeling kind of love, this kind of love that feel, comes and goes, the kind of love that I hear people say and just drives me crazy. Well, I'm kind of falling out of love. You know what? Your love can actually grow. And my prayer is that you will have greater quantity and quality of love as you learn and as you love. The message puts it like this. So this is my prayer that your love will flourish, that you will not only, not only love much, but well. Loving well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings. Don't trust that kind of love. So that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life. Circumspect and exemplary. A life that Jesus would be proud of. You know, the interview one time was done on a, a couple that was married 60 years. And 
the question was, you know, asking about their secret sauce. What is it that kept you in love for so long? Because even in the interview, you could see that they were in this 60-year-old kind of love story that was, that was going on and uh, kept you from falling out of love. And they had this kind of dialogue back and forth and says, we love each other and we've never stopped loving each other. We've continued to grow in our love with one another. The, the reporter probed and tried to dig in there a little deeper. And, and that was what the man said. And he said, but, but, but wasn't there a time in your life when times were rough and he wasn't the man that, and you weren't the woman and, and things were not like they should be and he had done maybe something wrong and, and you kind of didn't love each other anymore? Did you ever stop then? And this time she spoke up. She said, no. So I could, I could name if I had to. Sometimes when things weren't so good. But then she quoted from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 13, where it says, love keeps no records of wrong. You know what I want to pray in your life today and your relationships today, that, that there will be a growth in quantity of love. Your love will abound more and more, but also quality of love. That in those relationships that are not so healthy, that could be healthy, if you both were giving 100%, both investing in the relationship, weren't taking it for granted, that you both were seeking to see God at work fully and completely in your relationship, my prayer is that your love will abound even more and greater in your life. I heard this past week in some podcast, I can't remember which one I was listening to, but it was a a very interesting statement. It's talking about the difference between love and hate, love and hate. And they said this, they said, you know, if you choose to hate or you choose to forgive, it will be a choice that you'll make. But if you choose to forgive, you will make that decision once, maybe twice. Because you'll have to remind yourself, no, I've forgiven them. No, I've forgiven them. And you move on. But if you choose to hate, you will choose to hate every single day of your life. And you will live with hate every single day of your life. You know, you can choose to love or you can choose to hate. But I can tell you this, that the fruit of the Spirit is this. The first two is love and joy. When you have good, healthy love, quantity and quality, right behind that in the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It will go greater than your circumstances. It will go deeper than your pain. And you will be able to see life. And you know, I think about the religions of the world, Buddhism and the whole love there. The founder of Buddhism gave up on his wife to seek inner peace. Hinduism, the concept of love is more of of one of pity. You look at Islamic example of God and you don't know what love looks like. If there's even a loving God out there. But when you look at the Christian example of love, when you look at it really true and you look at its most basic form, you'll have to look at John chapter 3, verse 16. You don't have to look very far. For God so loved the world. My prayer is this. You will never be able to love the people in your life 
fully and completely until you know the love of Jesus. You know the love of Jesus, you'll be able to love people who are hard and broken and messed up that have hurt you, but you'll also find joy unspeakable.